Hello and welcome to the Skeptic Show. This is your host Subham, and this is the first episode. So I thought that it would be interesting to talk about one of the most important thing in our life, the thing that is supposed to be our savior, and it is all the confusion. The thing that is supposed to help us to make sense of the world and everything that is happening in the world. So in this episode, we will be talking about the great Indian education system. We will talk about the problem in our education system and the challenges our education system is facing. And then we will talk about the solution, the new education policy. And we will discuss the need of integration of cultural root in the education system. And to talk about these things, I have two guests here on the show. The first one is a student and my classmate and my friend Anamay. He is from Mumbai and is currently pursuing BCA in Bangalore. Hello Anamay, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me Shubham. And the second guest is from the opposite side of the classroom. She is my teacher Neetu Madi. She is assistant professor in one of the most reputed colleges in Bangalore and she has been teaching for more than 10 years. Welcome to the show ma'am. Thank you Shubham. Uh, I just want to jump right into the topic. Uh, because we don't have enough time so education the confusion eraser is not able to clear any of our confusion and it is not able to save us and it is not able to help us to make sense of the world and I hope that we all agree on that so ma'am you have been a student and now you are a teacher you have been on both the sides so what do you think is the problem with the education system well, to start with, I would like to point out before we start with talking about the problems of the Indian education system, I would like to point out that, you know, the students who pass out of India is one of the most coveted workforces the world over. So there may be slight glitches that the Indian education system face, but to think of it as a disaster might be, uh, uh, you know, not right. Yeah might be erroneous to do that but that said Indian education system does follow a pattern that doesn't allow students to have hands-on experience of what they are actually studying and many a times there is so much of information that is crammed into the system they don't really understand why they learn it the application part of our education is almost nil why somebody studies something like when you do science half of my school life i was ignorant of as to why i was learning certain things but as an adult many a times i wondered maybe i should have paid a little bit more attention in school because now i know why i was studying it so maybe that is something that the indian education system needs to fix you know that that gap between why we learn something and what you learn. That is something that we can do. I think that's about one of the issues that we're looking at. If you look at the other aspects, uh, holistic development seems to be absent. We are so concentrated on uh, drilling information that can help students pass an exam rather than understand what a student's strength is and then try and develop those strengths. To a large extent, when an Indian education system that takes on nearly 60 students in a class, it's a challenge to the teachers to understand where the strength of each student lies. And many a times, the teachers are ignorant of that fact as well because 60 in a class is a huge number. And many a times, individual attention is impossible. So it's, it's easier to apply the rote learning system, where you teach the same thing over and over again, really have no time to invest in whether the student has some learning disability or there is certain strengths that the student has, which the, stu the teacher can concentrate on. And even if the teacher identifies sometimes by her effort or by his effort or by random chance, the possibility of that teacher spending time for that student, again, it's impossible. Because how do you find time for 60 students individually? Or even after taking classes for four or five hours in a day, finding that extra time to spend with a student or a few students become impossible and, and difficult. 
and teachers don't have uh, the know-how either. Many of our teachers, they are trained only to teach the rot method. They're not educated in maybe teaching the students, uh, you know, who have needs, extra needs. Uh, they are uncertain of how to approach these students. So we generally resort to labeling them as stupid and then we move on. So th these are some of the problems I thought I would highlight. And now I will let Aname speak. Yeah. Are you facing any problem or anything that is uh, con currently related to the education system and any dream that you are not able to pursue because of the system? Um, yeah, uh, I would um, concur with um, Neetu ma'am here. She said that we are not taught why we are learning something. We are just taught for the sake of it just because it is in the syllabus prescribed by the university or the board. And um, so I'll give you an example. Like we had uh, subjects like work experience, value education, but they were taught by teachers who did not sign up to teach those subjects. They had no background in humanities. Uh, science teachers would teach uh, um, work experience and value education just because there was no one else and those subjects were supposed to be taken lightly. They were only there for marks. So we get this idea that EVS is not important, value education is not important, work experience is not important. What is important is uh, the languages and uh, the sciences that we study and uh, all these uh, vocational subjects are not important so we don't inculcate them in our lives. We resort to rote learning and pass the supposedly important exams and thus we don't gain any knowledge but only just information which we tend to forget because we did not really learn them but just memorize them uh, and the other problem that 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 I would like to highlight is that um, the rigidness of uh, our system like after uh, after 10th you have three sections that you divide the students into arts science and commerce if you take arts you cannot take any subject from uh, science and commerce even though if you're interested which most people are like I took science after 10th but I was more interested in learning history and languages and philosophy and psychology but I had no option being a science student I had to compulsorily learn physics chemistry bio and maths and I was not interested in physics ever so that was the problem uh, so there is no holistic development and the interests of students are not taken into consideration only the the returns that you will be getting after your investment in these courses uh, the the jobs that you will be getting uh, the money that you'll be making that is supposed to be more important than your interest so that is uh, a problem here the interest and um, the interest conflict, like... Yeah, I understand. Even I have the same problem. I want to study philosophy and political science and psychology, but I cannot because I'm a BCA student. And tech people are not supposed to learn about philosophy. <laughs> we are only supposed to be on the other side of computer, making programs, not talking to people. It, it, it's a stereotype that uh, we're all wary of. Most of the time when I go to a BCA class, I go with that mindset. Okay, I have to teach them the basics. They wouldn't know how to communicate. They wouldn't know how to write. But yeah, I think that's, that's something, that's one of the evils of the education system. When somebody says it for long enough, you start believing it. It gets ingrained in you. It gets ingrained. Then you become a part of the system. Then you become a part of the system. Because when you can't fight the system, you, you automatically become part of the system. Sometimes you know what you're doing is not right. But it's like, you know, one man fighting a system or you just become part of the system and just complacent and comfortable. Well, I would have been the same, but uh, I had good friends. Uh, one of my friends, he is uh, a poet. And the other one was 
interested in only science so every single day he'll be reading science books from 9 a.m. to 9 p.m. The other, one, the other one was writing poems all day and I was doing coding all day so I had good friends in that regard a very diverse group it's good to have a diverse group of friends yeah. you are lucky in that yeah. uh, so what do you think is the solution uh, because the rigidness that you have to choose one stream and you have to just learn that and the tendency of the society that you have to learn what to think. You are not allowed to think on your own. You have to learn what you can think about and you have to just learn what of it, not how. How to approach a problem, how to solve a problem, how to address a problem, but you have to just study the problem and that's it. You are not supposed to think. You are just a machine. It, and this is not a problem of a teacher. This is a systematic problem. It is a problem with the system and uh, not any student or teacher. In that regard, I would also say that we are still semi-colonized. We have not, we are not completely free. The Indian education system is still the same, more or less the same. The British left us. That is true. That uh, you have to learn everything in English. I was in first standard, and I I used to remember things like this: that the animals which live in forest are called wild animal. And I used to just remember all of these things. Now that I look back, I, I mean, it could have been better and I would have been in a better place. So you would have rather had your education in your vernacular? Yeah. Than in English? Yeah. But the fact that today you're able to sit here and talk to a diverse population is because you are well-versed in the English language. If you had been given an education in your local language or your vernacular language, your audience would have been restricted to that group and that group alone. So there are certain perks to an English education. That said, it, this is no way saying that, you know, English is better than any of our Indian languages because uh, I, I'm very comfortable in my mother tongue. I read it, I write it. I encourage everybody that I know to be familiar with your local language because whatever said and done at the end of the day, if you want to be rooted in an identity that, that belongs to you, a uh, culture that belongs to you, it is imperative that you know your mother tongue, that you know the local language, because it is only through the local language that many of the things that are passed on by word of mouth or, you know, little things of your culture is passed on to you through your local language, not through English. But that said, we are not looking at a cultural education here. We are looking at an education that's going to make you part of the global population, that's going to make you part of the global village that we are currently in. And the fact that, like I started off with saying that Indian uh, students, graduates, they are one of the most coveted workforces in the world. In fact, half of America, I don't think, will function without us. So that has been made possible because of the English education that we so, uh, I think, almost like we anally instill in our kids. It's, that's what makes it possible. If that's not there, uh, we become another China. Now, China at least has the know-how to be on top. They may not need the language. But as Indians, I think language is what makes us so diverse and, and so adaptable to everything. So um, learning the local language, I think, as part of your three-language system, learning a local language is a must. You must know your local language. One should not be above or under the other. Your local language, along with English, must be given equal place. And the fact that your education must happen, th this is very personal. This is one of the problems that I have with the new education policy as well. I think the education must be in English because all of your higher education will happen in English, which means students who are being educated in the vernacular language is at a disadvantage. Once they complete their 12th, like when they come now to study higher education, we 
a lot of them struggling with language, not being able to even write a proper sentence. They know that it's not that they lack the intelligence, but unfortunately, they cannot put it into words, which means their ability to communicate it to a larger audience is also restricted. So we must look at our language as our cultural center, but the English language must still be at the center of our education, is what I feel. Actually, I agree with you on that part because uh, I know that uh, India is a very, very diverse country. India is not a nation state, it is a civilization. And uh, the cultural difference between the northern state and the southern state, and even among the southern states is too much. And if there is no one language, then there will be a problem. We will not be able to talk to each other. Exactly. So yes, English should be taught in schools. But uh, there is a bigger problem here because uh, we have been, we have learned everything in English, right? But then there is a problem of identity crisis. Many of the people, they, and especially me, uh, this is me, I cannot write Hindi now. Because the last time I studied Hindi, it was in class 8. And my, I can speak Hindi, but I cannot write it now. Because I have not learned it after that. So I have forgotten how to write Hindi. That's, that's the, that's like, if you give importance to English, does not mean that you take away the importance from Hindi, you or any other language. You have to give all languages equal importance because they will play different roles in your life. Uh, but the problem of identity crisis, uh, because mostly teenagers in India, they are now facing the identity crisis and uh, they are living in a pseudo-American reality. And we, and, and, I, and I agree on that, because we don't know what our, what our culture is and there is a systematic slandering of our indigenous culture in India. And especially in Bihar, uh, many people and many of my relatives, they don't want to talk in their regional language, in their mother tongue, or uh, Mathli or Bhojpuri. They don't want to. And they are so proud about it. That we don't allow our children to talk in that uh, same full language. That is the word that is used. I think this has to do with the representation that, the, that we get in media. The amount of uh, English content that we consume and the quality of it is, I think, much better than uh, the, or much more than what we get from the local, uh, local languages or local parts. Um, and when you said we live in a pseudo-American uh, reality, it is mostly in the very urban areas of the country where you have a lot of international, uh, international uh, intermingling that happens. Uh, a lot of, and uh, even like for example Bombay, it has, a, it has people from everywhere in the country. Everything has been mixed and a new culture, a new culture, a new Bombay culture is being made. Uh, so, and uh, obviously the uh, English content that is consumed, uh, which is better than the local content as of now, because we don't put that much of, uh, effort into making good uh, content in local languages compared to the Americans and the English. So, the pseudo-American reality has to do more with that than the education, sir. Uh, yeah, uh, but in our society, the quality of the language that you speak, and especially English, matters more than the quality of the argument that you are saying. Even if my argument is completely stupid, I will lose in a debate against someone who is fluent in English. And that happens all the time. Uh, this, I agree with Shubham, that um, our education system does give prominence to English. And it's not to intelligent that we give importance, it's the fact that who speaks the better language, they seem to have an upper hand over others. Maybe it is also part of the remnants of colonization that all of us carry with us. There's a reason why, you know, the post-colonial era is not something that we are over and done with. We haven't put that. Yes. So that internalization of the white supremacy 
includes internalization of everything that they do. And culture, again, is one thing that is constantly evolving, hence a culture. So we can't say one is better or one is worse. It, it will keep evolving. And maybe another 50 years down the line, the culture that we think of as an anomaly might become the norm. Just how 50 years ago, I don't think our ancestors could have envisioned uh, all of this that we're doing today or even a, a woman sitting here and speaking or educating would have been something that they could not conceive of. So culture as a rule is something that evolves. So good and bad is something that's very, very dicey to get into because it, it's a very personal thing. What is right for me may be wrong for you and what is right for you may be wrong for me. So today we live in that gray area of rights and wrongs you know the black and white is is no longer there except for if you kill that's like black and white that's separated but other things are so so in the gray area it's difficult but that said i do agree that english seems to have a upper hand when it comes to languages in india now this has got less to do with the education system and more to do with our mindset. If you have not given importance to your mother tongue at home, you will never give it importance anywhere. And if you, along with your peers, have taken pride in saying I cannot speak it or I have an accent when I speak my mother tongue, there's nothing anybody can do about it. Which is why you need to give all languages equal importance. Now, um, somebody living in Bangalore, and Bangalore being such a cosmopolitan city, to say that, you know, I, my mother tongue is only Kannada becomes difficult. I have a mother who speaks in Malayalam, a father who speaks in Kannada, a grandmother who speaks in Tamil. Then, then what's my mother tongue? I have to be able to understand all these cultures. And the minute all those cultures come together, my own culture has changed. Now, do I privilege a Western culture over this? No. That is a lot of the consumption of the West. And, and centers keep changing. Today, we all look towards America as the center. You know, Everything that is cool and happening comes from America. Does it always have to be? I mean, our own culture is pretty cool, I think, yeah. right? You don't always have to be angry and rude to be new gen. You can still be polite. You can still be contemplative. You can still be silent and still be intelligent and strong and be heard. I, I think a lot of what the generation today, including us, what we forget is that there is dignity in being quiet as well and when I say quiet it includes everything it, it could be to be silent sometimes silence is also strength it could be to wear an Indian dress and feel confident it could be to speak your mother tongue and feel proud and sometimes many a times I, I find myself using my mother tongue when I'm angry or if, if I want to convey something, you know, drive home a point, I, I find myself resorting to Malayalam and if I want to like abuse someone and mean it. I always do that in Malayalam. English just does not get the emotions, right? So I don't think you can ever do away with the language, but how you perceive the language. And mostly this thing of, oh, I don't talk my mother tongue, uh, that's to do with the teenage year. I think most of them grow out of it in time when they realize the power of speaking your mother tongue. And all of this said, culture is ever changing. You cannot keep one and say, everyone must be this. It's impossible. You might agree, you might choose to disagree, but it's ever evolving, whether you like it or not. Uh, but are we as a country producing good human resource? 
and uh, but before we talk about this we must exclude the extremes because india is a huge country and 1.3 billion people as of now live in this country and if we are exporting 1 million brains to the west does it mean that the majority of the population that is living in the country are good human resource i think we are like if you look at the number of people who migrate and go abroad it's not a majority i mean few people do and you can't hate them for it because there are opportunities available abroad that might not be available here and some people move not for the opportunities but for a better lifestyle so you you can't dislike them or hate them or you know be judgmental about no, no, my my question is that they are moving uh, for job and whatever the reason is that's their choice that's not of my business but my question is that uh, when we talk about the good thing in the education system we always point to that uh, exporting of brain and in that regard we are better than china uh, because chinese they don't learn any other language they are just happy with their own language but we indian do and we have a good stand in the global society because we are exporting our brain to the other country with that being said those are the exceptions when it when we compare them to the entire population of the country so are we in whole producing good human being or not good human being but good human resource of people who know what they are talking about people who are fluent in their language and can speak their mind and can think freely so are we producing a population a human resource that can think speak and write i think we will be producing we are producing we have been producing now will every student who come out of our system fall into that category maybe not but i think a majority of them are capable of thinking for themselves they are capable of holding their own and our education system many a times we say that we only make employees but i think we give them a, a overall understanding of everything enough to think for themselves if they choose to i hope this is your question shubham uh no my question was slightly different uh, my question is that are we producing People as a country think whole a good human resource are we producing better students or better worker or better people who can think and can contribute to the society so like only a workforce or people who can become entrepreneurs um, in general a workforce we are producing a workforce our education system is more suited to producing a workforce rather than people who can think and make something of themselves those are far and few but uh, also we have a lot of mm, those new age companies uh, what are they called startups. Uh, startups that that are coming around and and becoming quite uh, popular and and doing pretty well for themselves as well so i i think we have a balance but i think we produce more followers than leaders that is true that i have to agree with because our education system i feel is suited for that which is soon changing because now we are encouraging our students to question to ask which was not allowed at probably 5 years ago when i started teaching i i have seen that change where students were not allowed to ask questions to today where students are encouraged and teacher also told that you don't have to have you know all the information sometimes if students have more information you you can always step back and say i don't have that information because you guys are the ones who have grown up with the internet and your exposure to information that's that's like it's mind boggling the kind of information that you have today we would have to in a day we probably would have to sit in a library for a month to gather that kind of information so uh i have a different opinion on the workforce uh because there was one survey done and it said that 95% of the engineering graduates they are not fit for their jobs oh they are wondering about the quality of education yes, that they the get the quality of the human that we are producing 
this might be like stepping on my own toes the privatization of education i feel have had a detrimental effect on the quality of education because now education is a business today it's not about the you know the educated passing out it's like if you have paid the fees the college somehow feels responsible to ensure that you pass where olden days under a government institution education was your responsibility it was the students responsibility to get educated teachers were there only as helpers facilitators and they were there if required they will come to class they will teach the rest of the responsibility was on your shoulders today somehow education has become the teacher's responsibility and no longer the student's responsibility when that happens of course there will be consequences i mean you will have to invariably compromise on the quality of education you can't do otherwise like i don't ever score remember scoring the kind of marks that today kids get in literature if you scored in 50s and 60s that was like brilliant 90s never heard of and today kids are you know averaging in 70s and scoring 90s and and that's for me that's a problem and then telling all the students that you're good is is also not right when you're not good you have to be told you're not good when you're not performing well you have to be told you're not performing well we have become so hypersensitive to mental issues psychological issues these days i feel that is that is becoming a problem rather than a solution to things like you have to be resilient you have to hear no you have to hear bad you have to hear mediocre just like how people who do well must hear excellent magnificent brilliant otherwise how do you differentiate when i have to tell all my students from the really bright to the really struggling that all of you are doing so wonderfully well where do i tell the other person you need to put in more effort you know from this like i'm deviating from the topic like there is this uh, funny incident that happened when i was in my 8th grade uh, my uh, geography teacher i scored 40 out of 40 in geography and when i uh, got the paper uh, my teacher had written a remark over there like you are not supposed to score 40 in geography go get a life <laughs> <laughs> now that teacher knew what a holistic development meant mm. uh you pointed out a very very good thing uh sensitive that we are overly sensitive and uh, when i was planning this podcast i did not want to get into the political correctness conversation but now i think that i will because i will enjoy the conversation so we in our politics and in our society we are taught to not offend anyone that we have to be politically correct or we don't have a voice or we should not say what is true we should say what is good and it may or may not be right so do you think that this political correctness uh, has made us overly sensitive i think it has and it's not even about being politically correct anymore because if if you look at everything around you everything is absolutely politically wrong i mean uh, i feel there is a lot of misplaced uh what do you say concerns like in a house okay let's start with you know the first unit of a society the family where nuclear families where a child is given undue importance is simply not right that that unit does not exist for the child that child is but a part of the unit and giving that child undue importance at that young age that growing up age where they are learning 
is not right. As the child grows up, the child will start taking advantage of it and will start becoming selfish because everything has revolved around me and the child do not understand if things are taken away from it. The child grows eventually into an adult who expects the same where everything around me is for mine to take and use and throw, which is not correct. And where is the political correctness in that? It, it isn't. Or it, for me, it isn't. And then by the time they're adults, we are told you have to be sensitive to their needs. When they have not been taught to be sensitive to the people around them. And then all of the adults walk on eggshells around them. But that's only for a short period of time because which company is going to entertain something like that or engage in something like that. And then suddenly you're thrown out into the open where no one is going to be politically correct anymore. And you don't know how to cope with it. You have no resilience. And the minute you fall, you don't know how to get up from it. And you tend to turn around and, and blame everything around you rather than look at, you know, maybe I am the problem. It can't be that so many things around me is the problem. Somewhere I may have contributed to what went wrong. So I, I don't even know if it's about political correctness anymore. I, I think it's a lot of misplaced concerns at the misplaced time so and i'm a ura student so uh, what is your opinion on the new education policy do you think it is a good thing or it is completely stupid it's not completely stupid but i think there was a change needed um, if implemented properly this could be a welcome change but uh, if well, I've been a cynic for as long as I can remember. But uh, there might be, if there is an underlying motive, an evil motive to this policy, then it might obviously be, it could be the downfall. But uh, if it's really meant for the betterment of our country, then I think it is. it has more good points than bad points in it. Like uh, the inculcation of uh, holistic development and critical thinking and the abolishment of the three categories of art, science and commerce which will help us to study whatever we want so the, the interest thing will the, the problem of the students interest will slowly go away the rigidity that you guys are talking about yeah that that can be sorted now you have a cafeteria system where you can pick and choose so uh, ma'am you are a teacher so what is your opinion on the new education policy so there are a lot of good things that the new education policy will bring about and one thing is the rigidity that you guys were so worried and concerned with maybe your uh, you know future generation might have the opportunity of picking and choosing not just following one stream but also choosing something of interest something that you're passionate about and that that will be very interesting to see how they're gonna uh, make that whole thing work because it, it's it's something that very few institutions in India uh, have tried and and they've been very successful with it so it'll be interesting to see how that gets implemented throughout the uh, school, college, all of those. So uh, that, that's one thing that I'm actually looking forward to. Another thing is actually training the teachers to teach. Uh, I, when I started teaching, I had absolutely no training. In fact, I was thrown into the system and I learned from it. And I'm sure I was a really terrible teacher the first two years because I, I was still struggling with it I had no structure to my teaching I didn't know what was enough and what was not enough am I teaching too much am I teaching too little I was unsure of everything so the first two years for me was just purely a learning experience which is not right because I'm supposed to be helping students learn so I always, when, when I started teaching, I felt, you know, some training, uh, uh, 
even if it's not a formal training like we have today or what has been uh, written down in the NEP, if it was at least to assist a teacher for six months and see how it works and then jump into the game might make you more efficient as a teacher. And to be put and told what are the best practices that are being used by teachers so that we can constantly update ourselves. Now, these are things that we don't have, like where teachers come together and we talk about education, how you manage a class, what are the kind of things that you teach, what are the kind of examples that you can use to bring those lessons closer to home. You know, those kind of colloquiums are far and few. And most of the time, even those colloquiums just end up becoming a session where we air discontentment rather than do anything productive. And I think NEP has uh, assured that there will be a progress, a career progress that even teachers can look at. Because many teachers stagnate after a period. You don't learn anything new. You're in the system and you just keep at it. So I think NEP can, and can keep teachers young and updated if, if it is implemented well. And another thing in the NEP that I, I really liked was the fact that when you start your degree, as Indians, you know, we have this one-track mind. When you start, you have to complete. And, you know, there, there are some students who actually struggle to complete due to various reasons. Now, this will give them the opportunity to complete one year and have a certificate at the end of it. Now, what certificate is not quite specified, so I don't know. And if you complete two years, you get a diploma. And if you complete three years, you get a degree. And along with that three-year program, you can have integrated programs. So I think that would be very good. So people who are interested in research, in fact, they don't have to take a break. They can continue. So if, you, if you're really clear about what you want right from an early stage in your life, it can help. And for those who are uncertain about what they want even they are helped to a large extent and the fact that vocational training is being introduced to the education i think that is brilliant because as indians we are so ill-equipped with the basics of life like changing a bulb or getting something fixed or you know where if anything breaks in the house you have to depend on somebody else to come and help you and i think those um, vocational courses i think it's brilliant in fact you know cooking cleaning stitching knitting carpentry electric plumbing i think all of those ought to be part of our curriculum when we come out i mean when we talk about holistic this is all part of the holistic. It's, it's not just about understanding your culture or having religious values. It's also about being able to live a full life without having to be dependable. Sorry, dependent, not dependable. Dependent on others. So, yeah. And the fact that kids are, uh, you know, during their learning years, uh, they're, they're trying to bring about any, uh, they, you know, bridge the gap between economic disparity for kids who want to study, it, it, whether it's in terms of finances or, or food, meal plans, so that, you know, at, at their growing up years, that initial age, they have the brain development required to, to take that education forward because, you know, we have all come to the agreement that those developing years they're very important to a child so to ensure that there is no malnutrition or um, dropouts. Uh, I think, yeah, there are a lot of good things with NEPD. These are some of the things that I can recall and remember. And I think that that's good. Yeah, uh, makes sense. Uh, so what is your opinion on the... Indian thing that education should be free. Can education be free in a country with our kind of population? Maybe primary education, government can do something, but beyond that, because then it all falls on the taxpayer. And I think we're quite overburdened already with the taxes that we pay at multiple points, and it's not right. 
So many people might actually find it difficult to pay that much more taxes to ensure free education for all. Maybe the primary section we can try, but subsidized education is possible. I mean, some of the schools, the fee structure is exorbitant. It, it's, it's almost a shame to be paying that much for the facilities that are provided. Now, I understand some of those schools where uh, there are a lot of high-fly facilities that are made available, or like horse riding and swimming and, and you know, uh, a lot of things now, I don't remember. But some of the international schools, they do, and I understand that free structure because that the requirement if they have to keep up a stable, I mean, they, they need that kind of money to do that. But otherwise, it, it's not um, justifiable, that kind of fee structure. So subsidized, yes, free, not for our country, or at least that, that's what I feel. I also have the same opinion because India has a huge population and uh, even if government is putting all his money in education, we won't be able to provide good quality education. So uh, we should, the education sector should be more free. It should be more into free market and government should build their own legalized profit-making institution and let the other build their own. A free market might be dicey. Um, education, when commercialized, when it becomes a, a commodity that you can sell and buy, Again, what we spoke about earlier, that becomes detrimental to the quality of the education because institutions are more worried about churning out results rather than quality of results. It's, it's quantity that matters. If 60 students enroll and they have paid 2 lakhs per semester, that's 4 lakhs per annum, it, it becomes the teacher's responsibility to ensure that they pass. And when teachers realize that I cannot do anything more for the student, then they start fudging information because it's also their job on the line. It's their credibility on the line. Uh, no, my, my point was that uh, the private sector should be allowed, but government should build more and more good quality institution. And they should be making some profit because uh, if they are not making any profit, then the institution won't be able to update their own equipments and they won't be able to provide the quality. Then I agree. Subsidy should never be at the cost of the quality. And uh, we also have to pay the teachers. They also deserve a good, healthy lifestyle. And uh, in the private sector, there should be some regulation, some transparent fee structure, and then they should be allowed to exist. Yes. And, uh, yeah, the exam system must also be centralized, I feel. Uh, like autonomous colleges today, they get to conduct their own exams and correct it. I personally feel that's not right because that gives the teacher the autonomy to teach, not teach, because she's familiar with her students. She will know what they are good at and what they're bad at. And I, I think somewhere uh, unconsciously you, you tend to concentrate on those things the students will excel at rather than those the students might find difficult and and I feel that is not right the education system must be centralized like in a university how it is done uh, but if us if the education is centralized isn't it anti-democratic because India is a diverse country and then there will be imposition of one culture onto the another which is why we have state universities, state boards. But so. but if everything is centralized. Oh, when I meant centralized, I didn't mean like the center, Delhi center. I meant like, you know, there must be a body that controls the quality of your education. It can't be left to individual institutions. Actually, they have done that in the education system, uh, in the new education policy. They, they are doing that. Yeah. And also, they, they're reducing the importance of the 10th and 12th. Yeah. Because you have common entrance exams. So even if you do badly in one, it shouldn't be like your, you know, determiner for the rest of your life. You, you have a second chance. You have an option. That's, that's a good thing. Hmm. Uh, so that was about all the questions that I wanted to ask you. But before 
uh, I end this podcast. Do you have any advice for the students? No, I don't have any particular advice. My only advice is don't take education to be literacy. You know, ha- take education for what it is to make you better human beings. To you know, not just have a job that pays you. Also, to be kind and to be nice and to be inclusive and and to you know, to be good human beings. Somebody that everyone can be proud of. Somebody who will, uh, you know, who will inspire. Somebody who can have friends because you are lovable, not because you have money, power, position. And that's the only thing I would, you know, because I, I don't believe in students who score well but are arrogant and, um, you know, proud. Yeah, I, I don't understand that. I would rather take a mediocre student who is actually pleasant and nice and good. So if ever I want to leave any student with any advice, that is to become good human beings. Use your education to help and be nice and not to take advantage, backbite or double cross. Uh, very good advice. Uh, I shouldn't be giving any advice but I think that uh, with the current education system they should take it less seriously especially in, if they are in college they should try more things, explore more areas, explore more subjects if they want to study. Internet is the thing and we have internet. Uh, if you don't get to study philosophy you can always go online and learn philosophy as i'm planning to do so yes. you can always do that and anamai do you have any remark anything that you want to say yeah i'll say start asking that's all and education doesn't end in a school or a college Thank you for joining us this week on The Skeptic Show. Make sure to visit the episode description for all our social media handles. And while you are at it, if you enjoy this episode, make sure you share it with your friends and tag us on social media. If you want more episodes like this, do subscribe and don't forget to give us a rating. Alright, this is your host Subham Saurav for The Skeptic Show and I'm signing off.